The Watch is the latest and the greatest in pop culture from best friends Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. Join them as they discuss TV, movies, music, and much more. Check out The Watch on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Prestige TV Podcast. My name is Bill Simmons. I'm here with Mally Rubin. We are going to talk about Super Pumped on Showtime. First episode done by Brian Koppelman and David Levine, the creators of Billions, who have interacted in various ways with the Ringer universe. So I wanted to acknowledge that up top. Mal. Yes. I didn't know really anything about Uber's story. I never read the book. Followed some of it on the, in the news. I knew that the founder, Travis, was at one point a loose cannon, then became worse than that, finally got ousted. I knew some of the shady stuff that they pulled. I knew it was a little bit of a roller coaster ride. But other than that, I did not have like a huge reservoir of opinions, thoughts, um, previous baggage that I was bringing in. So I was watching this first episode. Yeah. Really like kind of learning stuff and not knowing stuff. So what was your interaction with it? Similar, I think, in the sense that like I have not read the Mike Isaac book on which the show is based. And most of my knowledge and familiarity is from being, you know, alive during the time that all of this was happening and absorbing it via the news cycle. You know, certainly around the time of uh, Travis's ouster in 2017, this was like heavily in the news. So I had some familiarity, but also felt like I was learning a lot right away about the origin of the company and the dynamics inside of the company, which are obviously central to how the season one of this anthology show is going to unfold. And I think to what the anthology bucket is interested in exploring overall across its seasons. Well, it's tough not to think about social network when you're watching this, which is, mm -hmm. in my opinion, the, the best movie of last decade. Whoever you pick for last decade, it has to be one of the four or five yeah. things that get mentioned in that. What's number two on your list? Uh, Infinity War? Endgame? Probably Dark Knight for me. Ah, I don't know. I'd have to look at it. Look at but you. I I thought that I thought that movie's it's on Netflix now. I think that movie's incredible. More than a decade ago already. Yeah, two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Long time ago. Now we have the Batman coming out. But yeah, so it's hard to compare 
anything to that. But at the same time, when you're watching the machinations, this is, I think, closer to the social network treatment than it would be for like a lifetime TV movie. But I think for me, the just from a personal experience, because I, I interacted a bunch of times with Bill Gurley when between like Grantland and The Ringer and trying to figure out. Um, and I think you came to one of those meetings and we actually went through a little bit of the process wondering like, should we get an investor when we're doing The Ringer? Should we get somebody like Benchmark and really interacted with them? So to see him being played by the coach from Friday Night Lights Chandler. was just bizarre. Uh, Bill Gurley is like <laughs> six, eight in real life. He's a Texas guy. Chandler's obviously the Hollywood version of him in a lot of different ways. But to me, the reason I bring this up is Chandler was the winner of, I saw the first two episodes. I thought Chandler was incredible. I love Kyle Chandler. I have a ton of Kyle Chandler stock. This is about as everything I wanted from Kyle Chandler, right? Bill, I don't trust myself to speak on it. (laughs) (laughs) He is magnificent. (laughs) It's just delighted to have him back in my life. He is remarkable. Really wonderful. He's got the point still, just like Coach. You know, the, the the hand gestures and a lot of the mannerisms are the same as Coach Taylor, but he's completely, it's obviously a completely different character and a completely different vibe. I really liked the scenes between the Bill Gurley character and the and the, the Travis Kalanick character. The Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Kyle Chandler scenes were great. I only watched the premiere, I should say. I have not watched ahead, just the first one. That was my favorite part of the show was every scene with Kyle Chandler and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And it's funny you mentioned Coach Taylor because I was thinking of him like, Hedge fund coach Taylor, basically. <laughs> like Coach Taylor leaves Texas, gets into the hedge fund world, and just becomes Bill Gurley. And it's just the extension of that thing. I think for me, like Joseph Gordon, I've I've complicated relationship with Levitt. I've liked him in some stuff. I haven't liked him in other stuff. Okay. How did you feel he was in this role so far? I think he had to amp it up. I'm not sure. I know they needed a good actor for it. I thought he was good. Amp it up like like you thought he had to be super pumped? Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's got to be super pumped. He's got to be super pumped. You got to bleed for it. I thought he was good, not great. And I wonder, like, I was trying to think who would have been my perfect person for this part. And that's a really hard one to land because it's almost like you're you're pulling people from the 2000s. Like, this would have been an amazing Matt Damon 1999 part. This would have been a really cool Leo DiCaprio 2003 part. But, you know, um, for the current crop of actors that we have that are probably like have to be late 20s, early 30s, or at least look that way. I think this is about as good as you could do. But I still felt like there was a little more on the table with this character. Too often I felt like he was just the, I'm pumped up. I got a lot of energy. And and that was like his his mojo. Again, I've only watched the first one so far. I didn't want to I didn't want to watch ahead. But I th- I liked him a lot in the premiere. And I thought that the things about the performance that felt embarrassing or off-putting are supposed to feel that way. Like this is not a character we're supposed to be drawn to or a character we're supposed to like. I think that it is one of the core distinctions between the pursuits of this show and the pursuits of billions. And there are, I think a lot of similarities between the two and a lot of interesting, um, maybe like shared preoccupations or shared interests to parse, but also a lot of differences. And that is one of the core ones. We are not supposed to root for Travis. We are supposed to be wrapped and riveted as we watch him fall apart. Acts, we are drawn to magnetically, even if we feel a little bit ashamed of the fact that we are. And right. I think that that's like, that's a pretty notable distinction. So the fact that certain aspects of the performance 
are making you think like you know you're mentioning DiCaprio Damon like movie stars true 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 movie stars if somebody that famous were in a role like this I don't think you would buy it because part of the energy that we need from this figure is why won't my brother show up to my party yeah you know why like this this absolute bone deep need like we get in that exchange in the in one of the flashbacks, flashback within a flashback, <laughs> a classic staple of you know that I'm not, nor will I ever be a salary man. Like yeah. the absolute revulsion that he feels at the idea that he wouldn't be superior is supposed to be off putting. Yeah. So like if you're comparing it, like let's say Jeremy Strong was Travis Kalanick, that performance is a lot more complicated and goes in a lot more directions. He's also probably too old, but Gordon Levitt, it was. I watched the first two, but I thought mm-hmm. it was tough to feel like, is this guy evil? Is this guy just a wannabe? What is he? Like, I had trouble unpacking it because I don't, I think almost the show doesn't want you to decide on that yet. And there, there's been some of the reviews that have been out, I think missed it, where there was reviews like, this doesn't go deep enough into Ubers, you know, the way and the tech and the way the tech industry has disrupted life for the worse over the last 10 years. I don't really feel like this show wants to get into that till. And I, again, I only watched the first two, but I think that the reckoning is probably going to come much later. For now, this is like a pure mechanics. How did Uber take a rise like it did? And what was the deal with this founder who's about to have this Icarus fall? Yeah, it's it's a good point. I think that w- one of the reasons that <laughs> I love what Brian and David do, and and you know we should say Beth Schachter is a part of this team as well for this show, is that they're just as interested with the context around the central figures as they are the central figures. And so yeah. one of the real points of of fascination and intrigue here is how does our society allow for something like this? How are we in a place collectively in 2009 Mm. when the company originally forms, in 2011 when we're watching all of this unfold with Benchmark and then beyond when we're moving toward this endpoint that we we know will come in 2017. How does our society and our warped way of life like breed this kind of thing? And to the point about Travis specifically, and I kind of can't, help but constantly bring up acts as a, a, a point of contrast i think it's i think it's a yeah. natural thing to, to to do i found myself thinking watching the premiere that they're both showmen but travis is a showman who doesn't think he should have to dance whereas axe looks around and says if you need me to build you a stage so that i can put on a ballet for you i'll do that Right. And just has a feel for what other people want and need to be able to buy in. Like Travis is a bullshit artist and he wants to uh, spread the manure everywhere so that his achievements can sprout from it. But it's not only that he doesn't care if that manure gets all over everything. He actually thinks that that's part of the point. And Axe is the kind of character who wants to and knows that he has to avoid the stink. And so even though we don't yet know in the first episode exactly where we're or exactly how we will get to that end point and they'll pace it out. And, and it's a seven episode season, right? So there's yeah. there's a, a, a long road ahead. I do think we know that. And I do think that we have those seeds of mistrust clearly established early, like when we get the Paris flashback to and that 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 key moment where Travis is talking about his idea and his company and Kyle Chandler, which is just with his face is like, that's not how it happened. Right. Like we we all know that's not how it, how it went. And then he has to bring up Garrett and how it was. Yeah. Oh, their idea together. But then we see that other scene where it's like, that's not 
true. And so right away, we're on our heels with this guy. Like, no matter how much real-world knowledge you bring to the story, there's never really a moment where you're allowed to get comfortable. And even in the moments where you're supposed to maybe feel a little bit of uh, humanity in terms of his family dynamics, the call to his mother, the breakfast scene, etc., it's not exactly winning, right? No. Well, so this is tough when you do this fact-based stuff. If you're doing this as a movie, you're making... Travis a little more talented Mr. Ripley-ish, a little darker. Definitely a little more transparently evil. In this kind of thing, you have to stick to the facts a little. And this is what happens a lot with some of these tech companies. You have these guys who come up with an idea. They're not larger than life, but the idea makes them larger than life. And then they feel like they have to act like it. So from that standpoint, I felt like he hit that, Gordon Levitt, with that, like some of the stuff like him trying to rally the troops in the first two episodes and these big speeches where it's just like super awkward. And you're like, ugh, you you needed a coach for that one, buddy. (laughs) So it hits that. Um, I really liked, I I thought the girly scenes were so important, like the little touches, like um, when no taxi cabs. Oh, yeah. When Gurley catches that and then uh, Travis says back to him, like, and you weren't as drunk as you made it seem like you were that night. Like that little cat mouse stuff I really liked. Some of the tech stuff, like the go big or die and that that kind of stuff I thought was really good. The the potential spy at the end, which is a classic hedge fund thing where they fund you and then they all of a sudden somebody's in your inner inner circle that you uh, didn't expect. And then the big revelation of, you know, at the end when he realizes like, oh, We'll call this a rideshare, not mm-hmm. and not a taxi. I don't know. I thought it paid off. I I really thought the structure of the first episode was good. It set me up to be like, oh god, I'm I'm in. I want to watch more of this. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned the Social Network already, but that's like a a direct kind of parallel and symmetry moment where we get Uber. What? Nothing. Just Uber. Like you can't not think of yeah. Sean Parker and in, in the Social Network, and you know the drop the the with Facebook. Yeah, with Kyle Chandler the. <laughs> That scene at his gate, you mentioned the aspects of Coach that are feel like uh, just almost embedded in the DNA of his performance. I loved when he turned around and was like, you don't have to do that because it felt like he's coaching him. Yeah. And again, that was part of their origin story. This, however hollow and however sincere it is, is is almost beside the point. There's this appeal from Travis to Bill. I need a mentor, right? And yeah. we learn from that very quick. And this is, you know, the pace and, and the rapid, snappy nature of the dialogue, which is one of the, the, the hallmarks of their shows. The point counterpoint that Gurley is getting from his from his team. And for him, it's like, I mean, this is, this is a person who's going to be able to identify a unicorn and make a, an ocean of money because of his smarts, his instincts, his intuition, his experience. And one of the things that we get to hear him say is, well, we'll see if we can complete each other's sentences. And like very quickly, you start to understand a lot about the core dynamics. The psychology, yeah. Yes, and approach between the characters, which is really, I think, well handled in in the pilot because there's a lot to cover quickly. What, what did you think of, speaking of kind of um, shorthand and assists that we get in the premiere, what did, what did you think of the Tarantino narration? I love, so there's three things. <laughs> Amazing. I was just predisposed to like this. We had Tarantino as a narrator. We had Allie from Karate Kid as the mom, Elizabeth Shue, who looks fantastic and was great. Do you watch The Boys? I do not watch The Boys. Oh, man. She's been crushing it on The Boys. It's what yeah. a career resurgence first. So we have that. And then Pearl Jam. I thought of you immediately. They just <laughs> dove into yeah. the Pearl Jam catalog and did made some really good choices and some smart picks with 
like doing the, the evolution, that song and all like that just, it had, I, first of all, Pearl Jam is never in TV or movie. I don't know how they pulled mm -hmm. that off. It's very rarely do you hear that, but I thought that gave it an energy yeah. over and over again. The energy is like, Hey, this is amped up. This is amped up. And you know, some of the green screen stuff they do. And you even have the character say super pumped in a speech, the main character, which, <laughs> yes. you know, I love when they say the title, I know. but yeah, there's an, there's a manic energy to this that I think was a decision that I actually thought worked. You agreed, right? Oh yeah. I, I thought that it had like a meta quality to it. Yep. <laughs> that was highly effective. And there's commentary baked into that, but you also sort of can't help but be like sucked in by it. I mean, you're hearing Quentin Tarantino narrate to you and explain to you what is happening, what the psychology is, literally what these things mean. And that, you know, I, I wonder how many times I'll mention Billions. I'm sorry. I don't know if this is helpful or annoying. I can't help it. I love Billions. No, I, I, think, I think this is like the brother of Billions. We have to keep bringing it up. Yeah. One of the things that I find really rewarding about Billions, but definitely requires work and attention is the pace at which it moves and the fact that it demands that you not lose focus for a second. If you do, you'll miss 10 references, right. 15 terms. And so I found it here. That, there, there's some of that here. I mean, we got, you know, a J.D. Salinger reference. We got a, a Winston Wolf Pulp Fiction reference. We got the LeBron Reebok reference, we got a lot of that, and we got a lot of the tech terms, but then we actually had these, like, aids, these moments of assistance, where, like, walking us through, mm. you know instinctually to be appalled by the safe, the, the safe rides fee scene, and then we actually get to pause for a minute and, like, catch our breath and, and have the breakdown of how that works, and then there's this, like, kind of, you know, garish, flashing font and emojis on the screen, and... It felt like an embodiment of like the trappings of the thing that these people are pursuing, which is something that I really like too, because one of the reasons that I love Billions so much and one of the reasons that I'm really, uh, I really liked the, the premiere of the show and I'm interested to see not only where the rest of this season goes, but where the anthology goes moving forward because it's already been renewed for season two. They're doing Facebook yep. in season two and like what will they do after that? Billions and Super Pumped so far, they're not, this is my my read on it. I'm curious if you agree. They're not about wealth. They are about ambition and greed and hubris. And specifically, they are about winning. The pursuit of winning and then everything that winning affords. And of course, money is part of that. But weirdly, I thought that the like visual and like auditory aids really helped amplify and heighten that idea. There's like yeah. a, it's almost like a scoreboard effect, right? This is what winning looks like, but also you know in the back of the, your mind that you're marching toward losing, which is an interesting balancing act. And Gurley is a good example of that cuz he's going into it he he talks in big platitudes, right? Go bigger go bigger die basically. But he's also he makes it clear, hey, we don't invest in stuff unless we feel like we can make 10 times our money, which is right. how all the best hedge funds think. They make a lot of small bets on a bunch of different things. And they, they're almost like NFL draft GMs or something where they're, they're looking at prospects and they're like, can I win with this guy? They're looking at a quarterback and it's like, I want to get a quarterback with a top five pick and I want that quarterback to be a superstar. I don't want to just draft, you know, some schmo that I could go eight and eight with. They don't want to go eight and eight. Right. So his attitude toward that, it's a little like it's in the axe realm, but he's not, you know, 
a maniac like X, (laughs) but he still wants to win in the same ways. And you see in the end of the first episode, when he brings in that guy, he does it because he's worried about Travis. He's worried that, you know, their burn rate is too crazy. Um, This idea is going to (laughs) go sideways to say it out loud. That was so funny. (laughs) And he's like, I'm, I'm bringing in this guy and and it's going to ruffle some feathers and they might think it's a spy, but we need this person. And then as we go into the second episode, that person that they bring in becomes, you know, a bigger factor in, in ways that I think are a little surprising. But but that's that's it. It's super competitive to make a lot of bets. Things move at a fast pace. You get one chance at an idea. And if you don't pull it off in the first mm-hmm. year, they go away, they move on to the next thing. So I thought it captured that. Yeah, and I think it was well established from both sides in terms of like how that dynamic propels people forward, but also puts people on their heels. Like we learn a little bit about Travis's past experience yep. and the way that he was uh, the, the way that he lost his company and you know if you think of a couple of the things that he says to Gurley and this is somebody that he is in essence courting to yeah. in, invest and support in him and then and then someone that he is later like afraid to expose himself to in any way to show any hint of inadequacy or failure because what door might that open how quickly will everything unravel from there to the point where he'd actually be willing to risk losing the thing that Gurley could help him save and preserve because he has so much pride and you know when he says initially like I'll always listen I'll always take good ideas but I will never take orders I can't or when he says a little later I'm not going to lose my company from the inside ever again. It's not exactly subtle, but it is actually, I think, deft foreshadowing for for where this is going to go. I'm, I'm curious. But like, he also you- says, he also says, well, one of the reasons you don't oust your founders. We know when he says that, we're like, well, six years later, you're getting ousted, buddy. So, <laughs> yes, little foreshadowing. Yes, there are a lot of mile markers posted on on the road ahead, which I, I think is is nice actually, and it's helpful to have those those moorings and. It's not ultimately, like, again, another distinction. Billions, it's like, where is this going to go? Who is going to win? Axe, Chuck, will they find a way forward together? Obviously, that's not where we are currently in the story, but that was so much of the the early dynamic. Who will Wendy side with? It was a total mystery. We know the outcome here, and it's about how that happened. And another interesting thing is that, you know, we meet not only the mayor, but we meet, you know, Randall Pearson. So we have these like bureaucratic figures and much like in billions, the government is presented as this foil and this foe. But we haven't even met the cab drivers yet because they're going to become a foe too. Right. And they're obviously part of that alliance that Pearson is working on on, on behalf of. That will remain a force and a, a force of opposition for Travis. But ultimately, this is about when your allies turn on you, when the people who you think mm. are your teammates are the ones who try to take you down. And I think that that's a layer of complexity that is is a pretty, a pretty rich plot of earth to mine across this anthology because, you know, there's so much that is noxious in the, the tech boom and the Silicon Valley unicorn era, but also so many elements of our lives are tied up in that. Like there's that moment when, you know, they're talking about how sticky is it? And it's like, if we, if people, if people ride with us twice, we have them for life. And you kind of can't help as a viewer, but think back to your own experience with Uber. And you're like, wow, that's, yeah, yeah. that was true for me until maybe it wasn't for you. Right. So that's a, that's a really fascinating thing because I don't know how many viewers 
have an ability with billions to say, oh, I can connect to this personally. I have made this much money or invested this much money or worked with the hedge fund. It's like most people watching the show have probably been in an Uber. So you have an ability to think about your connection to what is happening and that draws you in, but there's so much about it that is going to be unfamiliar and new. And I think that's a, that's a really interesting balancing act. Yeah, they're good at the minutiae. Oh, yeah. Of, and that's, you know, I, I understand, like, if some people were saying I the show needs to take a bigger moral stance and all that, and you look at all the different ways tech has disrupted us for the worse, and I know that already. I don't need to be moralized or preached to with, with an entertaining TV show. I think we'll probably get to that stuff, but I, ultimately I don't think that's what this show and this anthology is about. It's more of, like, how did this happen? It's about showing us the roadmap in all the different ways something might not have happened or these sliding doors moments or, Oh, if this hadn't happened, then this doesn't happen. And as you're watching with Uber, you know, I remember for years we would talk about Uber and it's like, do I want to put that on my phone? They're going to have my credit card. Do I trust this? Um, And then all of a sudden there were rider tips and then Lyft came in. I remember Lyft, Lyft sponsored, I think Grantland, at one point, and all of a sudden, I had Lyft and Uber. I'm like, "What the? Do I trust either of these?" And um, it never felt like they really figured out Uber fully. Remember, they would do the surge rates. You're like, "What? Is, this oh, is yeah. like extortion. Sure. What's happening?" You know, sure. you'd be somewhere for like All Star Weekend or the Super Bowl, and the Uber's three times as much. Um, so the peaks and valleys of that, I don't know. I think that's good fodder for a show, especially when you see this guy who's running everything, who had a really good idea. But also was a little overmatched by it, but also had the rational confidence swagger to think that it was all in good hands and I don't need that. So I, I'm in. I want to keep watching this. Yeah, I think that in the first episode, there are enough exchanges and sequences where you very clearly understand like this is not a good person and this is not like a holy pursuit. Again, I already mentioned it, but like the safe rides fee scene is very yeah. much there to uh reinforce that i think a lot more and the eisner story like he reveres this eisner parking story of like oh, yeah, eisner aspirational one dollar yeah. and yeah. then once he knew they paid the one dollar he had them he could do it every one it's like oh you're a fucking douche you love this weird eisner story yeah and there's like a lot i think that we will learn over the course of the next few episodes as we move toward that forced resignation and exit in 2017 you know the shareholder revolt sexual harassment and discrimination in the workplace, software. Irena Huffington, she yeah, comes in. Yeah, is coming as, as Ariana. There are the privacy. My like, girl. I <laughs> love her. There are the- Bring her on. I get Uma Thurman, you get Kyle Chandler. This is great. What a trade. Uma Thurman, uh, Tarantino together in a project again. It's just, it's wonderful. Unbelievable. Shove a needle in her heart. Let's get it going. Super pumped. There's the, the, there are the privacy violations. There's the delete Uber campaign. All of that, I feel sure, is coming and will be a part of that. Yep. And then to your point, I think that will ultimately be married with a lot of show don't tell where it's not necessarily about like saying that out loud it's about just it's about allowing us to witness how that manifested and what the forces were that spawned it but also what it itself then spawned you know you mentioned Icarus earlier and Travis is the kind of Icarus figure and I think this will be what we see over the course of the seven episodes it's not just that he flew too close to the sun it's that he set out specifically to make a bigger and hotter sun and then he flew too close to it. 
And that's really that's really interesting to watch. Well, Cuban, I think, told Koppelman and Levine, I think they had Gurley's character say this, but it was some quote about... Um, the wall. The, yeah, Travis will run through a wall for you. That's the good news. The bad news he is he, he'll just keep putting up walls that he can yeah. run through. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. what it's like to work with that guy. I Listen, I think this is a great idea for a show. I'm really interested in all this different stuff because tech informs so much of our lives that, you know, you think about when we were growing up, or I'm older than you, but like the TV movies, you know, and you'd have like, when I was a kid, we were TV movies based on a real life mm -hmm. story. And then we got to the 90s and Lifetime and Fox and they would do like the, you know, the Amy Fisher story. There were like three TV movies about Amy Fisher, like within a year of that happening and the Texas cheerleader scandal. And then eventually Lifetime took over a lot of that corner. HBO would make some about they would do like Joe Paterno and, you know, real life stuff that would make the two hour movies. Ryan Murphy unlocking with the OJ thing that he did the American story, which is like, they're making a move. They're making a miniseries about the OJ thing. Really? David Schwimmer's going to play Robert Shapiro. Like you remember that when we were in that moment, we were like, is this, should we, is this going to be a thing? We, we were trying to figure it out behind the scenes with what we do. And they unlocked like this whole blueprint and we've seen it for better and worse. I thought inventing Anna was terrible. I could, I couldn't even finish it, but then there's other ones that are awesome. And I think, I don't know. I, I like this stuff. I like the, non-fictional slightly fictional narratives that you get to relive how something ended up being you 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 know most of it's truthful the lakers one is oh another one winning time yeah. that one gets a, a, a little more fictional I think. it had takes more liberties <laughs> yeah oh we'll be covering that on this feed but yeah i like this whole era and i think you do too right yeah absolutely i mean i think that the dramatized and heightened version of real life events is uh pretty dramatically compelling i think the show is well cast certainly well written and i'm really eager to watch the next uh the next six episodes i'm eager to see how season two shapes out i think it's a there's a lot of it, not just that trend more broadly as you're outlining but specifically in the startup and tech era a lot of projects right now around these kinds of uh, around these kinds of points in society and business and culture. So I'm curious to see when it starts to feel like there's too much. But right now it feels like a, a pretty rich vein to to tap. So when they do season 11 about Grantland, <laughs> who do you want to play you when you show up in episode four? Oh, man. <laughs> Move Back across when country I was still so you. young and spry. You know, now I'm uh, old and weary. <laughs> old and weary. All right. So we recommend this show. Uh, it is on Showtime. Oh, yeah. yeah, good stretch right now. Showtime, a little bit of a comeback. Yeah. Got to be honest. Yeah, nice little yellow jackets in there. And, and in general, a lot of good TV coming over the next few weeks. The Prestige TV feed has been a little quiet. It is not going to be quiet starting in March. There is a bunch of stuff going on. So anyway, all right. Super pumped. Mallory Rubin, thank you. Thank you, Bill. Will you thank our producer I too? I will. Chris Sutton, thank you for producing today's episode. And uh, Bill, if you want, we'll knit you a hoodie so you can just uh, you can look just like Zuck. <laughs> All right. Good to see you. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. 
Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.